This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever, and you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rockstar with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. One big fear about the new coronavirus has been that it could jump from Asia to other continents and spark outbreaks across the world. Now, that has happened. South Korea is on the highest possible health alert in its fight against the coronavirus. In Iran, the deputy health minister himself has contracted the virus, and the country has the highest death toll outside of China. Italy, the epicenter of the virus in Europe, now says it has at least 350 cases. At least 12 have died there. Reporting the first case in Latin America, a Brazilian who visited Italy. Afghanistan, Oman, Bahrain, Kuwait and Iraq as well, all reporting their first cases. We know that There are over 80,000 cases of coronavirus in nearly 40 countries. This spread has prompted U.S. health officials to warn Americans that it's not a question of if the virus takes hold here. It's a question of when and how big it will be. And now is the time for businesses, hospitals, communities, schools, and everyday people to begin preparing. Today on the show, why alarm is rising over the coronavirus and whether the U.S. is prepared to deal with it. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Wednesday, February 26th. The coronavirus is beginning to pop up in unexpected places. And the fear that this could cause a global economic slowdown has sent stock markets around the world plunging. Stocks are plummeting. Uh, Investors rattled by a rise in coronavirus cases. Fears of a coronavirus pandemic caused the Dow Jones Industrial Average to suffer its worst drop in two years. Investors are scared the impact of the coronavirus could mean a prolonged economic slowdown around the world. Investors' concern is that other countries could face the kind of economic hits that China is enduring. Closed factories, quarantined cities, and shuttered storefronts. The Center for Disease Control is telling Americans it's time to start preparing. Dr. Nancy Messonnier, a senior health official handling the crisis, held a conference call yesterday and offered frank advice. You should ask your children's school about their plans for school dismissals or school closures. Ask if there are plans for teleschool. I contacted my local school superintendent this morning with exactly those questions. There's a growing concern that it's only a matter of time before the virus gets a bigger foothold in the U.S. Brianna Abbott covers public health. Is there a particular tipping point or red line that we're approaching with the coronavirus? Yeah. So the World Health Organization Director General Tedros likes to use the phrase the the window of opportunity in terms of being able to contain this virus and stop sort of widespread spreading. He said in the last couple of days that the window of opportunity was narrowing to be able to actually stomp out the virus. And the reason it's narrowing is because with more outbreaks, it becomes less and less practical 
to trace back to the source and contain the people who might spread it. The response in the U.S. has been a strategy of aggressive containment. We are keeping a close eye on people who have recently returned from China, isolating people as soon as they develop symptoms, testing them, monitoring and tracking close contacts of those cases to try and stem any human-to-human transmission spread in the U.S. And that strategy so far has been pretty successful, but it's not necessarily a strategy that's going to be sustainable. Why would it not be sustainable? So as of right now, it pretty heavily focuses on people who are returning from China because that's the epicenter of the outbreak. We knew it was coming from one area, so it's a lot easier to screen passengers, potentially quarantine people. But now we're seeing a major number of outbreaks in Iran and South Korea and Italy popping up outside of Asia, which has been a major concern. And because it's getting harder to contain, it's forcing health officials to look at what will happen when the virus eventually reaches the U.S. in an uncontained way. If it starts spreading widely. We would essentially focus less of our efforts of monitoring everybody who's come in contact with the person with the virus or, like, isolating an individual person. And we'd work on sort of bigger things like potentially school closures, working from home, just trying to limit contact with people. And on a press call with reporters, Nancy Messonnier at the CDC said that this could get a bit disruptive in terms of just daily activity, depending on how widely the virus actually spreads. I understand this whole situation may seem overwhelming and that disruption to everyday life may be severe. But these are things that people need to start thinking about now. I had a conversation with my family over breakfast this morning, and I told my children that while I didn't think that they were at risk right now, we as a family need to be preparing for significant disruption of our lives. She's like trying to model for America that people should sit down with their families and expect to have these kinds of conversations with their spouses and children about what this kind of outbreak could mean. Yes, that is what she strongly implied. It was sort of by example that she was saying that, which was kind of alarming as a journalist on that press call to hear. Because, you know, if you're trying to, like, calm the public, you don't say that you're going to their kids' school asking them to be prepared. But, like, the purpose for U.S. health officials was, okay, businesses and schools and people need to come up with a plan in case this becomes a real issue in their lives because that's a growing concern. Granted, we don't know how severe it's going to get. It could get here and not cause these major disruptions, but it could, and it's always sort of better to be prepared. Yesterday, the city of San Francisco even though it doesn't currently have any coronavirus cases, declared a state of emergency. That declaration frees up resources to rapidly respond to any outbreak within the city. On Monday, the White House requested access to nearly $2 billion of new funding to pay for things like masks for healthcare workers and vaccine development. But one key tool to manage an outbreak is the ability to test for the virus. And officials here in the U.S., are running into some major problems with that tool. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by C3AI. 
C3 Generative AI enables rapid access to secure, traceable, hallucination-free insights from enterprise systems, all while using any LLM, helping enterprises turn the invisible into the obvious. Learn more at c3.ai. Welcome back. When the virus started to spread in a serious way in January, China quickly identified the genetic markers of the virus and shared that information with the world. This allowed other countries to work on developing their own diagnostic tests. Here in the U.S., the federal government enacted measures to expedite the approval of a test, and the CDC made one. But when the CDC sent batches of that test out to health departments across the country, they hit some problems. So it's called a PCR test, and PCR stands for polymerase chain reaction. And it's a very common test. They do it a lot for flu. And so what sort of happens is a healthcare provider will take a swab, which is either a nasal swab, throat, some sort of respiratory sample. They package that all up, ship it to the local health departments, or they ship it to the CDC. And then once it's there, they put the sample in this test tube, and they'll run it through this test. And this test is essentially looking for a unique strand of DNA that can identify this virus. But some of the state labs, when they tested them, got inconclusive results. That seems like a problem. It's not good. It happens in labs sometimes, but it essentially means that the results don't mean anything. You can't tell if it's truly positive or if there's some sort of contamination. That's been a pretty big issue. Basically, a chemical in some of the kits wasn't working. It's like in a machine if, like, a part was faulty that went out. Sort of like if you're recalling a car and, like, half the brakes don't work. Right. Which would be a big problem if half your brakes don't work in your car. Right. What does the CDC say about these faulty tests? So the CDC, they say that they understand everybody's frustrations with the test. They're trying to balance having the test get out quickly with having it be right. They had to investigate what went wrong, remanufacture it, make sure it works, send it back out again. They say that they're sort of working around the clock to get this done, but um, we still don't know sort of when they're going to be out yet. To be clear, not all the tests the CDC sent out were faulty. Twelve state and local health department labs have tests that are effective and accurate. But in places that don't have the kits, a lack of efficient testing could hamper the U.S.'s ability to quickly identify how many people have the virus. And that could make a big difference. One of the reasons it's important from a healthcare perspective is a lot of these symptoms are really common. Fever, dry cough. We're in the middle of flu season. It's really hard to tell respiratory diseases from another without a reliable test. Right now, we can do that based on screening whether or not they've been to China or if they're a close contact. But if there's wider spread in the U.S. and those parameters don't really necessarily mean anything anymore, it's going to be really hard to distinguish if someone is a potential case unless you have a really quick test on the ground. Plus, there's a risk that hospitals will be misusing their resources at a critical time. Right now, because some of the test kits didn't work, health departments have to send patient samples to the CDC in Atlanta, a process that can take days. Hospitals only have a limited amount of beds and a limited amount of ways to sort of isolate these people. If it takes a few days, that's a few days of resources for the hospital. That's a few days for the local health departments. 
and everybody's really anxious, and it might come back and the person could just have a cold. But if you had a faster test that was closer, you could get a response in maybe a day turnaround, maybe shorter than that, and that would just loosen up resources, especially if we end up getting more cases. The CDC is still working on getting new test kits out to state and local health departments so that those labs can do their own testing without having to ship it back to the CDC. It's been a few weeks at least, and they're saying soon, but there's still no word about when these are actually going to get back out. And some local and state health labs are getting nervous to sort of have the tests in their own hands. And what are they doing in the meantime? One of the people I've spoken to is Scott Becker, and he is the chief executive officer for the Association of Public Health Laboratories. He's saying that a lot of labs that they represent are getting nervous about this, and they sent a letter to the FDA requesting if they could develop their own test with the FDA and sort of circumvent the approval process so that they can start testing sooner. Would that be faster than the CDC can do it? They don't know when the CDC is going to be able to do this. It might be tomorrow. It might be several more weeks. And a lot of them don't necessarily want to take that chance. The FDA hasn't yet said if it will or will not allow the labs to develop their own test. If it does, it could be meeting an increasing need. In South Korea, where the virus is spreading rapidly, 35,000 people have been tested. Only about 400 have been tested in the U.S., Could the U.S. use South Korea's test? All of the tests in the U.S. have to be approved and given emergency authorization by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. So it's not that it couldn't, but it it would need to go through that process first. What does this delay in getting working test kits out say about the U.S.'s ability to contain this virus if the outbreak spreads? If we can't get the testing out and the outbreak spreads, we don't know if the outbreak spreads because we don't have any testing. That's probably the the biggest issue. At this point, there are no signs of an outbreak of coronavirus in the United States. A much greater threat to Americans right now is the flu. There's been, like, millions of flu cases and at least 10,000 deaths from the flu just in the U.S. this year. So in terms of the harm that the coronavirus is causing Americans today, not even a drop in the bucket, the harm that it could cause Americans tomorrow, we're not so sure. And that's why the CDC needs to message this so strongly. Yes. How do you think people will take this raised alarm warning from the CDC? Based on the emails that I have gotten in the last hour, some people are not taking it well. People are just asking questions about either stockpiling food or cruise line trips that they have coming up, asking if they should cancel. Like a lot of people, it sort of sparked a fear in them in terms of the idea that this might be inevitable. Not everyone is as worried. Brianna's gotten other emails that echo the message from President Trump that the disease is well under control in the U.S. and there is no need to panic. That's all for today, Wednesday, February 26th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal.
Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.